This is a Color Pencil Podcast, session number 241. Welcome to Sharpened Artist, a Color Pencil Podcast. Weekly discussions in and around this medium that we love so much. Hey there, my name is John Middick of SharpenedArtist.com. This is a Color Pencil Podcast, and I am your host. Thank you so much for listening today. So I'm calling this show a day in the life. You will probably fall in one of two camps as you listen to this show today. You're either going to think, wow, John, that's got to be the most boring show you've ever recorded to date. Or you may think that's uh, a very interesting show. So I'm hoping the latter, obviously. But what I'm going to do is I'm just going to walk through a day in my life. And I'm going to walk through today. This is uh, Saturday. So this is Saturday, February the 8th, 2020. Okay, so why would I do this? Well, I have people email me from time to time, and they'll ask me different things about working as a full-time artist, and they're interested in that. I just want to tell you exactly some of the things that happen in in my day. And it's it's things that I used to think about and I used to wonder about. And now that I'm in the thick of it and doing this work as an artist, now I can speak to it from the other side. So I'll talk a little bit more about that in a moment. It snowed here today and it snowed past couple of days. And so I wanted to take advantage of uh, being able to grab some reference shots with some snow in the shot. So I'll talk a little bit about that. But before I do, just a little bit about maybe sort of my rhythm uh, for work and what I do. So typically what I do is I wake up between 5 and 6 o'clock. And yes, I do wake up to an alarm. And then I start my day uh, very early with going through my full focus planner. That's the, the planner that I use. And I have annual goals. I have 10 to 12 annual goals. I have smaller written out portions within each of those goals. I have a quarterly strategy for coming and arriving at those goals. I have a monthly goal. Uh, There's three top monthly goals. Uh, I break that down by week and I have three top goals that week. And then I have three big three each day. So all of these tie into the annual goal, which ties into a two to five year plan, which ties into really my decade. I'm actually executing right now on things that I was planning on five years ago or longer. And so uh, really, that's all that I, I guess I'll say about that. But really, if you're someone who you think about the fact that one day you may want to work full-time as an artist, then uh, what I would encourage you to do is start writing out those goals and planning right now. Now, you won't know for sure what your day will look like or what your year or month might look like, but you'll know the large objectives. And that's really what doesn't change with me is the large objectives. And some of the strategy will change. I'm real big on the goals. I'm real big on the uh, desired outcome. I'm flexible on the strategy. So that's really all I'm going to say about that. But if you if you want to be uh, working as a full-time artist uh, and maybe 
you know, uh, thinking about different ways of earning revenue as an artist, then I would encourage you to start thinking about that right now and writing down what some of those things might be when you're able to, full, uh, you know, bring that into a full focus and have a full-time career as an artist. What we do as artists, and if you are an artist, if, if you're creating art, you're an artist, right? If you're not creating art, does that mean that you're not an artist? So our creation process is a very personal one. But even throughout the experience, we often don't know where something will end up. We, we can't anticipate every single time where something will end up, right? I mean, the entire creation experience is incomplete, I feel like, until someone has had the opportunity to gaze upon our work, to view our work. Then I feel like it's come full circle. So you may have something in your mind at the beginning, but really it doesn't complete the whole journey of that particular uh, artistic creation process or that experience is not complete until there's someone viewing the work. Now, you could define where, you know, how that's possible. I mean, we would have to really decide how will someone experience the work? Are they viewing it online, through social media, on our website, et cetera, et cetera? Or is it uh, through a show, a physical space? Maybe it's something that's hanging on your wall or on a client's wall or something like that. But I think the best artists know that it's never about emulating someone's techniques, but it's about getting their art closer to who they are and what they wish to say with their art. I mean, that's what I'm doing. I trust that's what you're doing. If this is something that you want to work on full-time as a career. So it takes something of ourselves, right? It takes flaws and all. And showing that to the world and saying, look, here it all is. I'm laying this all bare. It's presenting something that only you have, only I have. That's the only way that we can truly and fully express ourselves. It's not simple or easy, but it's a genuine and it's an honest approach to our art. It's vulnerable. That's also exciting, I feel like. And so we can be open to the unexpected surprises that our art has to offer. You know, we can embrace those changes. If we're going through some sort of metamorphosis ourselves. we can embrace that. Often, I think, we can begin to feel like we need to go outside of ourselves. We need to physically travel outside of our current surroundings to be inspired or to capture something that's unique or different. And I think if we just turn around and look at our own backyards, literally, we might find that the inspiration that we've been craving all along has been right there the entire time. 
So you want to talk about, you know, something different, something new, something exciting, some changes, something that gets you energized. You look out across your street, you see the same thing that you've seen, I don't know, for some of us, maybe decades. And we don't notice things as much as maybe we should. Maybe we go for a drive and everything looks the way it has for years and years. And so if we're not living around a seascape, maybe we're thinking about, oh, I need to travel out to the coast and I need to get over there and capture some of those things that I think might be more marketable. Yet I think if we just turn around and look at some of the things that are right under our nose, we might have a renewed sense of exploration and creativity. So this is what happened to me today. I thought, okay, I'm going to get up early, usually on Saturdays. Since this is a Saturday, I thought, you know, usually what I do is I will go ahead and sleep in. I'll sleep in to around 6.30 to 8 o'clock, something like that, and I don't set an alarm typically. Now, that's not set in stone. If there's something going on, then I have to set an alarm and get up. Um, and then usually in the evenings for uh, weekdays, I don't stop working. Uh, I hate to admit this, but often I don't stop working until 8 p.m. to around 10 p.m., somewhere around there. Um... It's rare that I stop before um, 8 o'clock, but sometimes I do. On the weekends, though, I try not to actually work uh, past like 1 or 2 o'clock if I can help it. If there's too many things piled up, then I go ahead and do that. All right. I don't plan on doing that all my life. I'm not planning on working this much for the rest of my life, but within this season of life, for a little while, I think that's uh, an important thing to do, and I enjoy my work. I love my work. So let me get back to Saturday, though. Waking up leisurely, typically, and then going through some of the things that I wasn't able to get completed throughout the week, and I usually tackle those things Saturday morning. But this morning, I decided, okay, I'll wake up just a little bit earlier. I'll get some of that morning light, maybe. And then I'll be able to look at some of these things that maybe I've grown used to. Maybe they've looked a little humdrum to me for a while. And maybe I can renew some of my interest in some of these very mundane objects that I pass all the time. So I got up early and it's always a risk with snow. Snow is still falling it was falling all day. It's been falling pretty much all day Friday and pretty much all day today on Saturday. And so I knew it was a risk to go out and to not really be able to capture anything too captivating because there's not a strong light source. There's just a whole bunch of these gloomy wintertime clouds that are uh, obscuring the whole color spectrum that we would typically have in the sky. And then... When I'm looking around at the snow on the ground and objects, trees, and different things, I have very, very soft, washed-out shadows and highlights. 
And so it's hard to capture something and make it look extremely interesting when that's what I'm up against, a lighting situation that is not going to be the best. But there's some things you can do. So to my surprise, what I have found recently, and I found out uh, even today, well, I found out Friday. So I went out Friday for just about 40 minutes decided to go ahead and take a little bit of time, about 40 minutes, and look around. And I found, uh, well, I found a covered bridge. Uh, it's only about 15 minutes, maybe 20 max from my home, from my town. And then I also found a mail pouch tobacco barn and some sheep that are in a pasture right next to that barn. And that's right next to my house as well. That's about maybe a little bit further away. It's about 25 minutes maybe um, at the most. So these are things right under my nose. And I'm willing to bet that you've got something that's right there next to you. Right in your own backyard. That's incredibly interesting. But maybe... You haven't discovered it yet, or you've seen it and you've overlooked it. And if you just go out when the weather changes from something that it has been and now it's different, or you go out a different time of day, I think you're going to discover some things that you didn't before. And so my wife went with me, and this is an interesting thing, too. If, if I say, hey, I'm going to go to a, an art gallery, I'm going to go look at some art, um, and I ask her if she wants to go, then often she's like, ah, it's okay, you, you have fun with that. Um, but if I say, I'm going to go try to grab some reference photos, there's a, a cool creek next to me. That's another thing I found about, oh, four to six different creeks that I knew were there, but I really wasn't looking at very closely until today. But if I tell her I'm going to go out and grab some reference photos, then uh, she's more apt to go with me. And so that's what happened today. So we went out, grabbed my camera, and I took some reference photos of the covered bridge, took some references of that mail pouch tobacco barn as well. I never knew that there was a mail pouch tobacco barn near me until uh, just, um, I think it was yesterday maybe that I saw it first time. And then today when I went out and uh, took some photos of it, I, I thought I had to travel clear to Indiana or something like that or up north in Ohio uh, to be able to see one, um, you know, a little bit further away than where it is. To find that was just delightful. But I got to tell you, uh, if, in case you're not aware, um, I'll just tell you a little bit about the history of the mail pouch tobacco barns. And, you know, th keep in mind that this is something current. Uh, this is something that is happening right now in society. It's happening in my lifetime. It's happening in your lifetime if you live in the Midwest um, like I do. And this is something that you might want to capture. You want to capture things that are happening currently within your lifetime. Um, any artist that, living or dead, that you may um, really look up to or respect, and you may admire their work, if you think about what they painted or what they drew, then you're going to find that they were drawing life as it existed around them in their time. 
So they're drawing, if they're drawing people, they're drawing their contemporaries, people around them, things that are actually occurring right then. They're drawing the landscape. They're painting the landscape. These mail pouch tobacco barns are around us, but there's not very many left. Because here's the history of the mail pouch tobacco barn very quickly. This was a, a program that ran from 1891 to 1992. So there was this company, a tobacco company, I believe it was just the mail pouch tobacco company. What they did, and it was kind of ingenious, but what they decided to do is that they would just go around to farmers who had barns. They would ask the farmer, hey, can we paint your barn? And we'll put an advertisement on, I think, at least just one side of the barn, maybe the side that has the most traffic back in the day would be a horse and buggy that would be on a road. And, you know, if they were able to paint, chew mail pouch tobacco, treat yourself to the best right there on the barn that is facing the dirt road where the horses would be traveling, then they would pay a royalty to the farmer. And uh, I think in the early days, um, you can look this up online, but I think they were paid between uh, $1 or so. And then the advertisement, you know, started to uh, go up in price and uh, they would get a little bit more money. But it worked out really well for uh, the farmer because it protected the wood. It preserved the wood of the barn. They needed to paint the barn anyway. They would paint one side of the barn, the painter that would come around and paint the mail pouch barns, and then they would they would paint that one side uh, probably black, I think most often, and then uh, the mail pouch <clears throat> advertisement would be painted in white or yellow or something like that. And then they would paint the rest of the sides of the barn. Sometimes they would actually paint the roof with the advertisement, but they would paint the rest of the barn in any color that the farmer decided that they wanted it painted in. But it, it helped out the farmer. It also helped out the tobacco company. Okay, so the program was, was um, canceled or stopped in 1992. The interesting thing is, and just a little tidbit side note here, but there was one man in particular I believe his name was Harley Warwick or something like that. And he painted around 20,000 different barns. So he was one of the painters for mail pouch tobacco, and he he painted that many barns. So uh, it's just kind of an incredible uh, story. And he was uh, from Belmont County, Ohio. So most of the, the states uh, where this program was um, – taken place was over here in Ohio, Michigan, uh, Maryland, Kentucky, Iowa, Indiana, Illinois, uh, and a few others. So it, it's interesting, though, because you can drive around now today in some of these mail pouch tobacco barns, and if you're from any area that has them, then you've seen them. They're unmistakable. Uh, they're huge. You can see the mail pouch tobacco um text written on these barns there's some that you know they're still standing today so they're either that old from uh, when they were last painted maybe around 1992 or earlier or someone's gone by and has touched them up you know i'm not real sure why we have a few left today um 
that you can still read. I guess that they've just held up that long. But I see fewer and fewer of them now. And I'm I'm intrigued by them. I'm intrigued by that era that's gone now or is dying. And now what we're able to capture as artists, if we choose to do that, and I'm just taking a slice out of uh, life as we know it today and this dying off a piece of Americana where we've got in the countryside these barns with this advertisement for tobacco we're not go- in a few years we're not going to see that anymore so i think it's exciting to try and capture some of those things before they're gone we can probably look online i haven't done this but you can probably look up uh, some paintings of the mail pouch tobacco that someone has done i'm sure if i just googled that i could probably find something and maybe someone's painted that um, early in the 1900s uh, of some of the the new, freshly painted barns. Uh, I don't know. Maybe that doesn't exist, but it seems like it would make sense. But what the other thing interesting is what would happen is they would come back and repaint the barn for the farmer. Maybe every, I don't remember now, um, five or seven years or something like that. They would come back around. It's like a circuit and they would come back around and say, oh, it's time to repaint your barn. Would you like for us to do that? Okay. Um, you get a royalty for allowing this advertisement. And, you know, I don't know how much it ended up being by the time that they were done with the program. But my point is this. I went out. I found that barn. I took some reference photos of it. And I'll actually put uh, some of those in the show notes And if you're interested in uh, downloading some of those for yourself, if you want to try your hand at that and draw that or paint that, uh, be my guest. It's interesting because I've also captured some sheep right there by the barn as well. And I just think it's a really interesting and compelling photo reference to work from. One thing that, that I did talk about on office hours. So let me go through my day just a little bit more with you then, since I got off on that sidetrack there for a moment. Come back to me if you were uh, zoning out. (laughs) But what happened is, so I went out a few hours and did that, came back around 1030-ish, loaded up from the SD card all of these photos that I took, transferred those over to my hard drive, And started looking at them and trying to decide if there's something compelling enough to draw from. And and then just starting that process of taking these photos, throwing them over into some photo editors, and looking at them and trying to determine if it's something that will make a compelling piece of art. Now, that took a little while. Um, so we're getting close to around 1130. I had a quick lunch. I had breakfast earlier. I skipped that and two cups of coffee. Um, around 1130-ish, I ate lunch. And then I came back over to the computer. And I conducted a live office hours, an open live office hours for members of the monthly sharpener. And so for those that... Didn't have to wake up in the middle of the night to join that. Uh, we had several that decided to join over there. And we, I had a Q&A session, and we just we talked about art. And I talked, though, a lot about 
uh, these reference photos and just showed some possibilities going out and taking some references in the snow and some of the challenges with it. Because I never really got really great lighting on the subjects. Uh, I had lighting on the subjects, but it was not a strong light source with sun uh, beating down in one direction. It was more this canopy light and it was um, it, it's it can be challenging when you have that. And so what do you do when you have that kind of problem or challenge to work with? There are a few things that you can do. You can pull that into your photo editor. You can hype up the contrast on one layer and then you can color the contrast a little bit warmer as well or that layer rather. Not the contrast, but the layer. You can you can make it a little bit warmer in that particular layer. Hype up the contrast. Um, use some dehaze if you're in the uh, Photoshop editor. And bring that dehaze down very low so that it kind of has a glow effect. And there's probably some other ways you could do this as well. But once you do that, then you create sort of this, this glowing kind of effect... Uh, where your highlights are, and then pull in another layer of the same photo and work with both of those and sort of erase some areas where you want the highlights to be shown. Now, that's one way you can do that. There's probably a lot of different ways that you could do that. My point is this. You can work with that photo, and you can edit it a little bit to get closer to uh, just showing some light direction and increasing and enhancing the shadows just a little bit so that it makes the piece a little more compelling. There's a little more drama in the piece when you do that. Now, that's one way of doing that. Another thing is you could play around with a saturation level and you could just, you know, make it a piece more about color rather than uh, about a strong light source or separation in values. So you're playing around with something else. One of the things I noticed in winter shots in general is that they're very muted. Uh, a winter shot, reference shot that is, is a very muted type of reference typically. And so there's, there's more things that you've got to do in post to make it, perhaps a little more interesting. So those are some of the things that we talked about. And, you know, that, that, was, that was an interesting uh, discussion, I feel like. You never know what we're actually going to talk about on an office hours session. And for those uh, that come to those quite often, uh, I think that they would tell you that they enjoy just the spontaneous nature of getting together with other artists and we just discuss art in general. And there is so much more to be gained by having several of us in a virtual room like that rather than just one or two. And so if you're interested in something like that, I highly recommend coming over there to Monthly Sharpener. Link will be in the show notes and joining us sometime. I think you'd be surprised at how quickly your creative juices start flowing when you're just around other artists and we're sharing ideas with each other. 
Okay, so after that, after I worked on that, um, let's see here, worked on those photos, did the office hours, and then uh, that lasted a little over an hour, around an hour. After that, then I went back to my photo, kept editing on that a little bit, picked some of the references that I'm going to be using in a few upcoming workshops, recorded voiceovers for three separate videos inside some of my courses in my academy, answered several emails, did uh, two, maybe three, I'd have to go back and look, uh, critiques, video critiques for students, and then, let's see, there was something else. I don't remember that last thing. Did my daily review. I did my checklist for my big three, my goals that were there. And the podcast was on here as well. Spent a little time in the evening with my wife. I cooked uh, dinner and then we uh, sat down together and did that. And came back over uh, to the desk and recorded the podcast, and I'm doing that right now, and so I'm going to finish with that. So, all right, there you have it. That is a day in the life, and I'm working on a cold, I think, something that's affecting my throat or my voice just a little bit, so I'm glad you were able to bear with me on that. So, there you have it. Like I said, that may have been just the most incredibly boring day to you, or maybe you found that interesting. But I would encourage you, if uh, if you've not written down what you want your day to look like, if you're not a full-time artist right now, or you're not working as an artist right now, but you're wanting to, or you've got plans to, then write down what you want your day to look like. What time are you going to wake up? What are you going to work on throughout the day? Um, I underestimated how much work it would be. I, I'll, I'll be real upfront about that. It's a ton of work. You're spread so thin in so many different areas. But you also love the work. Love, love the work. You love every part of the job. Or I do. So you, you write these things down. What time you want to get up? What do you want to work on? When do you want to take lunch? And what are you what are you going to do for lunch? You know, and then when do you go back to work? And uh, do you take a nap in the middle of the day? I do. I try to take a nap every single day. I don't always succeed in that, but I try to. You know, a nap to me is five to fifteen minutes max. Um, if I slept longer than that, I that that would not be good at all. Uh, I would be groggy, I think. But I sleep long enough to fall asleep, and then I get up. And usually it's around five minutes or so. When would you uh, stop working? You have to decide when you're going to stop working. And I'm trying to get better about that, especially in the new year. I'm trying to get better about a stopping time that's reasonable. Now, there's some other things that I do in the middle of my day or at, at the beginning. I also take my daughter uh, to school in the morning. You know, that's around seven o'clock. And then I pick her up as well. Now, sometimes she has other activities. She's involved in a lot of different things, and um, the one that's in high school still. And so I take her and pick her up from those events as well. So the nice thing about being able to flex your time when it's your time is you can decide when you're going to work on things, and you can decide, you know, that maybe it's more important that you take your daughter to um, her pet 
band event or something like that. And then you come back and then you can work on that piece of artwork until it's time to go pick her up again. So with you, you know, it may be something else. It might be that, uh, you know, you've got uh, grandkids, perhaps, that you're uh, needing to watch once in a while or uh, you're doing something else. I don't know. Fill in the blank. There's so many options, right? So, all right. That's just a day in the life, though, for me. And I want to encourage you, though, no matter what's going on in your season of life right now, to get out Look around in your own backyard, so the areas that are very close to your house. What I did was I just went down some roads that I've never gone down before. I hardly noticed they were there. And I thought, I've never been down this road before. Let's see where it goes. And I just started driving. And voila, you know, it led me to some pretty cool things just right here. Very, very close to the town I live in. And I love doing that. I love discovery. I love finding things that I never even knew existed right around me. So I know that that probably can be the case for you as well. And sometimes, and you might want to think about this too, that sometimes you can just put on a macro lens or just zoom in real close to something that you feel like is very boring or you've seen a hundred times. Somebody else Maybe even in the same area where you are, but somebody else maybe further farther away from you uh, that isn't even around the region of the country where you are might find that extremely interesting and compelling. All right. Well, I hope this helped. I hope that you had some fun uh, just hearing about my day. And if you can relate to... Just thinking that things that are right around you are too humdrum and just trying to figure out ideas for some of your next pieces. Write me. Let me know about it. Podcast at sharpenedartist.com. If you are enjoying the show, uh, consider leaving a rating and or review over in Apple uh, Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast. This is a weekly show, and I'll talk to you again next week. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. All the show notes can be found at www.sharpenedartist.com.